We're continuing in our series that we began last week, Christ Encounters. And last week as we began, we started with the encounter that Jesus had with Andrew, who then brought Peter, his brother, to Jesus for his own encounter, and what encounters they were. We're going to pick up just the, the very next day from those incredible encounters, those events, as we look at these next two encounters. And uh, that's going to be found in John chapter 1, where we were last week. And this week we're going to be focusing on verses 43 through 51. That's our, our main text. And I would love for you to follow along with me in your copy of God's Word. John 1, 43 through 51, as we look at these next great, great personal, life-changing encounters that Jesus had with those mentioned in this text. Let's just dive in together. Verse 43, the Word of God says, The next day, Jesus decided to leave for Galilee. He found Philip and told him, Follow me. Now Philip was from Bethsaida, the hometown of Andrew and Peter. So likely they knew each other. And it's pretty straightforward here what happens with Jesus and Philip. There's not a lot said. There's not a lot of detail. It's simply he finds Philip and he says, follow me. And Philip does. Philip does. Philip hadn't been earnestly seeking for Jesus. He, he wasn't begging Jesus to allow him to come. Jesus saw him, said, follow me, and he did it. It's an example here of what Jesus would later tell the disciples In John 15, he said, you didn't choose me, I chose you, and I appointed you to bear fruit, long-lasting fruit that will bring glory to my Father. Philip was a, a great example of that, right here. Follow me. Okay, I will. And really, it's, it's no different. If you're a Christian, every Christian, that's, that's their story. That's your story. You weren't seeking God. You weren't seeking Christ. You weren't seeking salvation in and of yourself. Rather, Scripture's very clear. No one comes to the Son unless the Father draws Him. No one comes to the Father unless the Son makes Him known. So if you are in Christ today, then praise the Savior who called you to Himself, who sought you, even though you weren't seeking Him. Amen? Amen. Let's keep going. Verse 45 Philip found Nathanael and told him, We have found the one Moses wrote about in the law, and so did the prophets. Jesus, the son of Joseph, from Nazareth. And that's where the events kind of spiral for this this next encounter. Philip follows Jesus as Jesus found him. Like Andrew, it didn't take long for him to be convinced of who he was seeing, who he was encountering. He figured it out pretty quickly. He believed pretty quickly. We found the one we've been waiting for. We found the one we've been looking for. We found the one that Moses wrote about, that all the Old Testament pointed to. He's here. He was convinced. And so the very next thing he wanted to do was go and find his friend Nathaniel and tell him all about it. So he says to Nathanael, hey, the one that you know Moses wrote about, the one that you know all the prophets pointed to, his name's Jesus, son of Joseph, and he's actually from Nazareth. But the excitement wasn't shared. The excitement wasn't returned. Look at the first part of verse 46. Here's Nathanael's response. 
uh, can anything good come out of Nazareth? Nathaniel asked him. Wow, that's pretty harsh, right? Why, why was that reaction the way it was from Nathaniel? Well, Nazareth was a very, very small, insignificant town on the border of a Gentile country, which caused the Jews to consider the whole town and its residents to be considered borderline unclean and pretty much despised. Anything Gentile was bad, unclean, to be avoided. And so these people living that close, you know, geographically touching the, the Gentile country in the Jewish mind, that made them just by default unclean and people to be avoided. That's just the way they went about it. And Nathaniel played that part. He said, well, if he's from Nazareth, I don't see how he could be good because there's nothing good that comes from there. Pretty harsh, but pretty honest with how he felt. He was pretty direct. Didn't beat around the bush, just was blunt, said what he thought, said what he felt. And here's how Philip responded. The last part of verse 46. Come and see. Come and see. Which is exactly what Jesus told Andrew. We looked at that last week. Andrew said, where are you staying? Which was really saying, I want to know you. I want to know what you're about. What's special about you? What, what is this work that you're about? And Jesus said, come and see. Come and experience for yourself. Come and encounter me personally. Don't rely on others' testimony. You see for yourself. And so to the, the question, the derogatory statement, can anything good really come from Nazareth? Philip says, come and see. Not much is said about Philip. Really, he's a pretty insignificant character compared to the other disciples and many of the other narratives that take place. But good for him for not responding negatively to Nathaniel's statement and for just calmly, simply offering for Nathaniel to come and see for himself. And church, that says something to us. That, that is a teachable moment here that we should observe and learn from. And what we need to learn from Philip's example is this. People need to hear from Jesus more than they hear from us. He's the one that has the answers to what they are seeking. He's the one that can change a life. We can't. He's the one that is the truth. We simply point people to the truth. Whether people are interested in Jesus have heard nothing about Him, or have strong objections to Him, we should follow Philip's example and simply invite them to come, see, and listen to Jesus for themselves. We, I think, can get too easily into the trap of arguing our point. It can be all too easy for us to become argumentative, to get caught up in this long, drawn-out, and heated debate where we're trying to prove to the cynic or the skeptical as we talk to them about our Savior, as we talk to them about the Gospel, and when we encounter objection or opposition, we tend to take it personally sometimes. And we can get into this mode of where we've got to prove our point. We've got to prove how we are right and they are wrong. And that doesn't do anybody any favors. 
You know, I mean, no one ever came to Christ. I'm pretty sure of this. I mean, I guess it's possible. But I don't think really anybody's salvation story is, oh yeah, I, I was in this conversation with this person and they got so mad at me and they started arguing and they started beating me over the head with the Scripture and they made sure I knew that they were right and I just came to Jesus. I don't think that's anybody's salvation story. Hostility doesn't bring people to the, the holiness of the Savior and realizing their need for Him. We don't need to get in this big debate and argument and get angry and make them angry. We need to follow Philip's example when we're talking about our Savior. When we're trying to get people to come face to face with Him and realize their need for Him. And when we're talking about the Gospel, just, let's just invite them to come and see and to hear and listen to Jesus for themselves. And how do we do that? We take them to the Word. We take them to the Word. The Word of God. They need to be exposed to the Word of God more than they need to be exposed to our words. The Word of God about itself says, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. So that's where you need to take people because that's where people see Jesus. Maybe you've heard, uh, you probably have a very old, very familiar statement, preach always and if necessary use words. Raise your hand if you've heard that. Preach always, and if necessary, use words. Wrong. Listen, words are always necessary to preach. Yeah, actions do speak loud, and we need to, we need to live a lifestyle that matches what we speak and what we say, but we've got to open up our mouth, and we've got to point people to the Word, and our words need to be filled with the Word of God. That's how it needs to be. We've got to take Him to the Word. And it doesn't matter how hard the edge of the person is. It doesn't matter how far from God they are. The Word of God is alive and powerful. Do you believe that? We, we've got somebody in our midst. He's, he's uh, man, what a, what a faithful brother he is. What a privilege it is that we have him in our little assembly here. Hormie Hildebrand. He was about as far from God as anybody could get. I think Cormie would agree with that. Um, he wasn't open to God. He was harsh and hostile and closed, as closed could be. He was an alcoholic, an agnostic, or a full-blown atheist. You know how he came to Christ? It wasn't because someone argued with him and, and proved how wrong he was. They showed him Jesus. And the way they showed him Jesus was by showing him the Word. The Word of God is what changed Cormie's mind and his heart and what made him a reborn creation, a new creation in Christ. Take people to the Word so they can see and hear Jesus for themselves. Let's keep going with this encounter. Verse 47. So, Philip has said, come and see. It doesn't detail how that happened, but that's what happened uh, because Philip brings Nathaniel. Nathaniel agrees. He goes where Jesus is. Verse 47, Then Jesus saw Nathaniel coming toward him and said about him, Here truly is an Israelite in whom there is no deceit. 
Maybe your translation says, Behold, there is an Israelite indeed. That's how the ESV words that I'm reading from the CSB. Same thought, same expression. Here truly, or, or here indeed, is an Israelite in whom there is no deceit. And rather than criticizing Nathaniel's critical and cynical statement, what Jesus said to him was a high, high compliment. And it was an obvious contrast to the great patriarch Jacob, from whom Israel came, and who was known for being so deceitful and manipulative that any con artist would have been very, very proud. That was Jacob's past. That was his story. He was full of deceit, full of cunning, full of guile. So Jesus contrasts Nathaniel with Jacob. He says, here's a true Israelite. There's no deceit in him whatsoever. He is as real as you can get. Verse 48, How do you know me? Nathaniel asked. And here's the great statement. Before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. I saw you. Jesus answered. Wow. I mean, even without diving deep, you can tell this statement is profound and significant. But what is the significance? Well, the fig tree where Nathaniel was under, the fig tree was a very, very important symbol for Israel. Uh, and it represented their national identity, their, their, whole, their whole identity as a nation and as a people. And at this time, students studying to be a rabbi would often study and pray and meditate under the fig tree. And they would often fervently ask God to send His Messiah and restore the kingdom of Israel to its former glory. Now, maybe Nathaniel was one of those students. One of those students preparing to be a rabbi. And that, if that's the case, that would certainly point to the reason, I think, that Philip described Jesus the way he did. He, he came to Nathaniel and he, he didn't say, we found the Messiah. He said, we found the one that Moses wrote about in the law and all the prophets pointed to. It was a very intentional way of introducing Jesus. And if Nathaniel was a student preparing to be a rabbi, I think it makes a lot of sense, Philip knowing that, would introduce Jesus that way. Don't you think that, that probably would fit? I think that would fit. We don't know for sure, but I could see that as a possibility. And maybe, maybe in a time of deep devotional meditation, Nathaniel was thinking about the way that God revealed Himself so specifically to Jacob, whose name was then changed to Israel. Maybe Nathaniel was earnestly praying for a similar personal revelation. That he could somehow see God face to face and, and know that He mattered to him. Have you ever wondered that? I mean, at your low moments, when it seems like everybody else has abandoned you, when, when you don't even feel... I mean, emotionally, you don't feel that noticed by God. And in your low point, you wonder, do, do I really matter to God? You ever wondered that? You ever asked yourself that? Where is God in and you fill in the blank? Am I really known by Him? Am I really seen by Him? Maybe that was what Nathaniel was, was going through. Maybe that was what he was pondering and thinking about and praying under the fig tree. 
If so, that would definitely fit with what Jesus tells them at the end of their encounter and the end of their conversation. More on that in a bit. We don't know what he was thinking. We don't know what he was saying or praying under that fig tree. But what we do know is that Jesus knew. Jesus knew exactly what Nathaniel was expressing, thinking, praying, pondering. Jesus knew it. And when Nathaniel realized that in their encounter, when he realized Jesus uniquely, supernaturally knew exactly what Nathaniel was doing under that fig tree, exactly what he was saying, praying, everything changed for him. Everything changed for him forever. The light bulb went off. The eyes were opened. And here's what he said. Verse 49, this was Nathanael's response to the incredible response that Jesus gave him. Rabbi, Nathanael replied, you are the Son of God. You are the King of Israel. And just like that, the one that wondered if anything good could come from Nazareth, now believes nothing better could ever be found anywhere else. Nathaniel would agree with Shakespeare's quote, all that glitters is not gold. He would certainly agree with that as a result of realizing what he realized, seeing finally eyes open who was standing before him, believing. And this encounter with Jesus taught Nathaniel some really, really important things that are just as relevant and important for all of us to learn and remember. What Nathaniel no doubt learned from this encounter and, and this incredible back and forth with Jesus as he realizes who Jesus really is, as he realizes all that glitters is not gold, I think Nathaniel learned this and we need to learn it too. We need to be okay with God not doing things our way. We need to be okay with God not doing things our way. And most of the time, let's be honest, we're not okay with that. Most of the time, we want God to do things our way, the way we think they should be done, the way we envision them to be done. And when He doesn't, which is like all the time, when He doesn't, we can get pretty upset pretty quickly. We can get pretty doubtful pretty easily. We can despair pretty consistently. But it's a really good thing, don't you think, that God doesn't do things our way? Because how do things usually turn out when you do them your way? I mean, really. So it's a good thing. It's a graceful thing that God doesn't do things our way. I mean, after all, He's the one that's perfect. We're not. All His ways are perfect. Ours aren't. In His Word, God said, as the heavens are high above the earth, so are my ways than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. And that's a really good thing. So, like I think Nathaniel was, I think we see this from his response, I think he was suddenly okay with God not doing things his way. Prior to hearing from Jesus, I saw you before Philip called you, before, before that happened, I saw you under the fig tree. I knew what you were saying. I knew what you were feeling and thinking. I saw you, Nathaniel. Before that, Nathaniel was thinking, well, Nazareth? The one that 
Moses wrote about, the one that all Scriptures speak of, the one that the prophets pointed to, you think he's coming from Nazareth? Well, I don't see God doing it that way. That was his thinking. But then he comes face to face with Jesus. He hears what only the Son of God, only the divine Messiah, only the true prophesied anointed king of Israel could say and do when he heard that and he realized before me is the one the only one that could be the one I'm looking for when he realized that it was okay that God didn't do things Nathaniel's way and we need to be okay with that as well the other thing that I think Nathaniel learned from this encounter that we need to learn as well is that God loves to work through the people that others overlook. God loves to work through the people that others overlook. And aren't you glad for that? Aren't you glad that God loves to work through and use the people that others overlook? Because chances are, you resemble that. And so do I. Most of us, I mean, I love you. I think you're great. But let's just be honest, most of us are people that others would overlook. And I'm just really glad for that. Because that's been God's M.O. throughout all of human history. Throughout all of Scripture, page after page, it's full of examples of that very fact. Of God using people that others would overlook. Remember Gideon hiding in the winepress? From his enemies, he takes the the little bit of weed he's trying to gather and he hides it in the wine press, you know, looking around so that that the the Midianites don't come and and steal what little bit he's found. And the angel of the Lord, uh, an Old Testament appearance of Jesus, God appearing, says, Hail, mighty warrior! As Gideon's like, you know, looking around. And I, and, and I mean, there's others. Moses, who ha- ha- had a stuttering problem, apparently. And who had killed somebody. And was in exile. He says, I want you to go and be used by me to free all of my people. What? So come again? I mean, over and over. Old Testament, New Testament. People that others would overlook, God loves to work through. The disciples themselves are great examples of that. But there's no greater example than Jesus Himself. I mean, Jesus is the ultimate example of this fact that God loves to work through the people that others overlook. How was Jesus born? What do we celebrate at Christmas? He wasn't born in a palace. I mean, He was born in a cave in a feeding trough to very poor peasant-like parents. Nobody saw that coming. Not really, although they should. They should have because it was pointed to, it was prophesied, but they still didn't see it coming. And the way he he spent his life, his ministry, I mean, he was homeless. Think about that. The creator of all things spent his three and a half years of earthly life as a homeless man. That's not the way we would do things. That's not the person we would be looking for to be the Savior of the world. But God loves to work through the people that others overlook. And I think that's your story. And I think that's mine. And we should be thrilled that that's the case. Because that means we get to be part of something bigger than ourselves. We get to be part of something that's, that's eternal in value. We get to be part of, of a kingdom. A kingdom 
Not just our own little, tiny, insignificant personal empire. Because God loves to work through people that others overlook. So be sensitive to that. Thank God that that's true of you. And be very careful, church, about writing other people off. Be very careful about those people that you lump into that category as those people. The other people. Be very careful. Because God obviously has a big heart for the people that others don't pay any attention to. And write off and discount. The other thing that I think Nathaniel learned here from this encounter that we need to learn as well is that it's vital that we view Jesus through the right lens. It's vital that we view Jesus through the right lens. Many times, though we may be well-meaning and sincere, I think there's a need oftentimes to deconstruct the way we have constructed Jesus in our mind. Because often the image that we have in our minds and in our beliefs, the image we have of Jesus, I think a lot of times it's pretty far off. Pretty far off from the perfect picture provided for us in God's Word. I think we we have this ability to build up who we want Jesus to be. Who we imagine Him to be. And who we imagine Him to be and who we want Him to be, a lot of the times, is a lot like us. And and so I think we can build up this, this faulty, unrealistic image of who Jesus is, of what He's like, what He's passionate about, what He's interested in. And we run with that. We have this image that we build up and we run with it. But many, many times that image is just really far off from that perfect, accurate picture provided for us in God's Word. So it's absolutely vital that we view Jesus through the right lens. Just as it was vital for Nathaniel to see. He needed to open his eyes. He needed to take the the lens through which he was viewing the Messiah. He needed to take those lens off and open his eyes and look through the lens that was accurate. And when he accurately saw Jesus, everything changed for him. Everything changed. And the same will be true for us. When we begin to view Jesus accurately, oh, Christian, we will see that he's not exactly who we thought he was. And oh, praise God for that. Amen? Praise God that Jesus is not who we thought He was. Praise the Lord for that. Well, let's get back to the text and finish up this encounter. Verse 50. Look with me at that. Verse 50. Jesus responded to him after you know, Nathaniel's statement of faith where he said, Rabbi, you are the Son of God. You are the King of Israel. Jesus responded to him, Do you believe because I told you I saw you under the fig tree? Is is that all it took? (laughs) You're already with me that fast? You will see greater things than this. Then he said, Truly, I tell you, you will see heaven opened and the angels of God ascending and descending 
on the Son of Man. This was a direct reference to Jacob's very profound and really life-changing dream that is recorded in Scripture. It's in Genesis 28. Uh, Summarizing that, Jacob was making camp for the night, and he didn't even have a pillow. He, He selected a rock for his pillow, and he must have been really tired from all his wandering because he fell asleep. And as he was asleep, God gave him a very specific dream, a vision really, where he sees the, the heavens opened and he sees this, really it's a staircase. I mean, some translations refer to it as a ladder, but it's really more like a, think of a winding staircase. And he sees the mighty, glorious, holy angels coming up and down on it from heaven to earth. And then, in this dream, God Almighty is standing next to him. And he says, I am the God of your fathers. And just as I was with them, I will be with you. And just as I promised them to make their descendants as numerous and countless as the sand on the seashore or the stars in the sky, so I will make you. I will make you a great nation and I will be with you. And Jacob, when he he wakes up from this dream, he says, how awesome is this place? This is none other than the very gate of heaven. And he he makes a monument there and an altar. And so this was a direct reference to that. And by making that connection, which Nathaniel absolutely would have known, by making that connection, Jesus was saying to Nathaniel, this very moment, you're seeing the fulfillment of Jacob's vision. That awesome, amazing vision that you've been taught about since you were a boy, Nathaniel, you are seeing it fulfilled right before your very eyes. Jesus was saying to Nathaniel, Nathaniel, I'm the only ladder capable of bridging the gap and lifting man to God. I'm the only ladder capable of doing that. You want to know God. You want to see God. You want to have the space that is between you and Him filled and, and met and satisfied. Look to me. I'm the only ladder I'm the only ladder capable of bridging any gap between God and man and lifting man to God. It's what the Apostle Paul wrote about in 1 Timothy 2.5. This is a very important verse for every single believer to know, to believe, to remember, to recall, to point others to. 1 Timothy 2.5 says this, For there is one God, and there is one mediator between God and men, the man, Christ Jesus. Aren't you thankful for that? You don't have to depend on a guy in Rome that wears a really funny pointy hat. You don't have to depend on someone like me. You don't have to depend on your spouse. You don't have to depend on a family member. You don't have to depend on performing enough, just just enough to squeak by. You don't have to depend on, on matching and meeting every single ritual and tradition that has been set up. You need to depend on one person and one person alone, the God-man, Christ Jesus, who is the mediator forever between God and man. He is the ladder. He is the bridge. He is the stairway. So don't get caught up in all these other things. We don't need to try hard to make Jesus relevant. We don't need to come up with all these you know, creative ways and constantly changing the flavoring, so to speak, so that Jesus is more palatable. 
We don't need to do that. He doesn't need our help with that. He is always what is needed in every age and every person's life. And He is always more than enough. There is one God. And there is one Mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus. And that will always, always be the only way it is. In every age, for every person. Have you encountered this way? Have you encountered this truth? Have you encountered this life? Have you encountered the one that was the fulfillment of what Jacob saw? Have you encountered the one that when you came to Him, you realized He had been calling you all along? Knowing you all along? Seeing you despite your sinfulness? Loving you despite how unlovable you are? Seeing value in you when really He shouldn't because He had nothing to offer? Have you encountered this Jesus? If so, then praise Him, praise Him, praise Him. But also, bring others to Him. And when they say, Jesus? You're you're talking about Jesus? You think this figure from thousands of years ago in this ancient book is worth living for and giving up everything for and that He's able to change your life? You really think that? When you hear that or any other kind of similar objection, don't get distracted. Don't get caught up in in a battle of words and wit. Just say, I hear you. Come and see. Come and see. Let's pray together. Father, I thank You for Your Word. I thank You for calling us. I thank You that though all of us, before Your divine, miraculous work, all of us, being dead, as we're told so clearly through Your Word, especially in Ephesians, that we were dead in our trespasses and sins. We're told in Your Word, not one of us naturally in our human, our fallen, our sinful state of death seeks after You. None of us is looking for You and trying to find You. And yet, despite those realities, there's another far greater reality. And that's that You called to us. You came to us. You raised us up by Your Spirit. You gave us the very faith we needed to put in Your Son. And You made us alive when we were dead. You knew us. You saw us. You called us. Thank You so much, Father, for the work that only You can do. Thank You for Your Son, Jesus, being the only mediator we could ever need. The ultimate and perfect and forever staircase, ladder, 
bridging the gap between us and you. Thank you for those of us who are secure in your Son, who know him personally and are known by him. And Father, for anyone at all who cannot say that that's true of them, they cannot say with certainty, I know Jesus and I know I'm known by Him, then please let today be the day where like Nathaniel, their eyes were opened, the light bulb went off, and they see Jesus for who He is. And they realize who and what He is and what He alone can do. Let today be the day where they confess like Nathaniel, Jesus, You and You alone are the Son of God. You and You alone are the only King of everything. And I I want You to be my King I want You to be my personal Messiah. Deliver me from my darkness. May that be what takes place in every life where that has not happened up to this point. Thank You that You don't do things our way. Thank You that You work through people that others overlook. And thank You for giving us the eyes to view Jesus through the right lens. We pray all this with praise. In Jesus' name, Amen.